So good morning, good morning. So glad to see so many kids up here and also see you here today. Um, I had a, an article that caught my attention this week and it was um, asking this question. So it's a question that you can answer in your head also. How old are you in your head? How old are you in your head? So Jennifer Sr., I thought that was kind of ironic that was her name, but posed the question to her mother who without taking a breath said 45. Her mother's 76. So Jennifer's 53, but she said 36. And she started wondering, why do so many people have an immediate, intuitive grasp of this highly abstract concept called subjective age? When just randomly presented with it, you probably did that in your head also. If you start asking people, they can come up with something in a millisecond. It's kind of bizarre if you think about it. Certainly none of us, if someone said, well, how, how tall do you believe yourself to be? Or um, how long is your nose? You wouldn't say something different, but we do about our age. Um, also, most of us know where our bodies are in space. It's a term called proprioception. We know where we're like in relationship to other things, but we have a very hard time locating ourselves in time like that. So ask yourself that question, how old are you? in your head. So of course, as you probably guessed, there are plenty of studies about this. There always are, right? Adults over 40 perceive themselves to be on average 20% younger than their actual age. And I thought, well, that's crazy. But then I thought, I'm 65 and I think I'm 54. So that's about 20%. But I think this is because I started thinking about why is that? Why, why 54? What an odd age. That is the year that we moved to Virginia from Minneapolis and felt kind of like an adventure, right? We were physically healthy. We were coming to this new place. We looked around. Um, I don't know. Did, that's what hit me. Maybe that's not even right. But a humbling side note from the social scientist Ian Leslie says that 30-year-olds should be aware, for better or worse, so if you're 30 years old, listen up, for better or worse, the 50-year-old you're talking to thinks that they're roughly your age. <laughs> so if you're older, you may be thinking, I'm talking to this 30-year-old, and we're kind of hipster together, right? While the 30-year-old is thinking, I can't believe I'm talking to somebody my parents' age. You know. So it is uh, the essence of illustrating how we can be very out of touch of how we're experienced by other people. And this is actually the essence of good therapy, to help us understand how other people experience us. Um, this idea is on full display in the show Shrinking. I don't know if you've seen that. It's about three therapists uh, by the people that did Ted Lasso. So it's watching the three therapists, Jimmy, Gabby, and Paul, tell their clients what to do while they're actually dealing with the actual wreck of their own lives. Um, and somehow that's just comforting and heartwarming to see them inside the room and outside the room. Uh, there's the really cranky old man who is played by Harrison Ford, who's like the head of the practice. Um, and Harrison Ford has been living away from his daughter Meg since she was a small child, and that really hurts his heart. But he has her come visit, and he's got all planned in his head what he's going to say. And of course, you know, that's not what he says. And she gets mad, packs up, and leaves. And they're estranged once again. Um, but he's helping Jimmy's daughter. Jimmy is trying to make up with his teenage daughter, Alice, for his emotional absence. And he has no clue how to do it. Meanwhile, Gabby, newly divorced from an alcoholic, who is now doing so much better now that they're divorced, 
and his art career is going, you know, great guns, and that makes her so angry. So they're all helping each other kind of experience each other, if that makes sense. So they're working in each other's lives to be able to say, well, this is how I'm experiencing you. This is the epitome of Romans 7.15, where St. Paul confesses, I do not understand my own actions. Other people may understand those for you. Um, while I was writing this sermon, something came up that I thought was kind of interesting, that like a God shot. I'm typing the sermon, and I get this little text that says, jerk, pack up your things and move out of my house right now. And I thought, I own my house. I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. So it's from Arizona. I was like, no, I own my house. So then they come back in a minute and say, sorry. And I'm like, you know, like wrong number. I said, sorry, wrong number. And then they come back a few minutes later, like after they thought about it, and they say, you know, you seem pretty friendly. And I like to make friends with people. Would you be my friend? And I was like, no. <laughs> I experienced you, you just called somebody a jerk and told them to move out of your house. No, I'm not gonna be your friend. Um, so do relationships confound you like that? that? Like that confounded me, like I can't believe you just had that big turn of whatever. Do you want it to be different but believe that the other person has to change, right, before you could be happy? Is there a broken relationship somewhere in your life that you would just like to have back or different or make less awkward at least. Are you the one who cut off the relationship? Maybe. Or are you the one who is cut off? I cut off my parents for quite a few years. That still kind of haunts me. Are drugs, alcohol, mental illness, trauma kind of working to deep six your relational future with people? You know, physical illness can also do that to a relationship. When there's physical illness, deep, deep illness, that can, you know, really make a relationship hard and interrupt the communication in that. Maybe it's less clear what the issue is in that relationship. Could be a colleague that you just don't like to see. You don't know what the issue is, but it hurts. The way that they treat you hurts. For all intents and purposes, the way it was is not the way it is, and you can't see a way forward. Maybe you're just having a hard time trusting other people, having a relationship with anybody. So I'm not ruling out behaviors that are criminal or threatening and should be avoided, but excluding those, we all have somebody on our relational to-do list, right? The problem with relationships is, I'm going to give you the big inside inside word, humans. Humans are the problem with relationships. People are the problem. You and me are the problem. We're human. We cannot see beyond our own emotional horizon to the needs of other people. The refrain that keeps hitting me in my head is Taylor Swift. Um, I don't listen to a whole bunch of her stuff, but this, that anti-hero always sticks in my head. Hi, it's me. The problem is me. So I don't get there very often. I think the problem is you, I, you know, 90% of the time. And then God, God gives me this little insight that, eh, really, could it be you? Um, and the lens gets turned on me, and I see that maybe I do the very same things I accuse you of. And I feel like that's a God moment, that little, that little turn, that repent. So Ezekiel's in the same boat. We're going for the, the dry bones in the Old Testament today. God has given him a relational task to tell the people of Israel that they are on God's to-do list. 
the hand of God has grabbed the prophet, drops him in a valley of dry bones. So you know a valley in the in anywhere in the Bible is kind of a low place, right? He's in a low place. He has lost all hope that the people are paying attention to him at all and his message to repent. Margaret O'Dell writes, Ezekiel sees little evidence that the Judeans will choose more wisely in the future than they have in the past. Though blessed with moral agency, they are no more able to use this faculty well than lifeless bones are able to get up and walk. The people are crying out, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are cut off completely. But it was never about Ezekiel ever, it's not about us either. As his, at his words, these bones, God tells him these words to put the bones back together and they come together, but there's no life in them. You know, we can do that with relationships, right? Kind of force them back together, but maybe they don't have life in them. And the Almighty tells Ezekiel to tell the bones, Watch this. So anytime you hear that in the Bible, watch this, something's going to happen big. Watch this. I am bringing the breath of life to you. You'll come to life and realize that I am God. Hidden within this valley of bones is a promise. The dead will live. God resurrects the faith of the people in him, the trust in him for these relationships through the gift of the breath of the Spirit. God's power, not the prophets. He breathes into these bones. Where Ezekiel expected judgment, he discovers divine grace instead. The grace that initiated this whole human enterprise by making humans from dust and breathing into them the breath of life. Remember that from Ash Wednesday. You are dust. It's this breath of life from God. Without the breath of God, you're lifeless. In Acts 17.28, it says that the breath, in this breath, in this ruach, we live and move and have our being. The spirit of Jesus Christ, breathed into you by God, will never leave you or forsake you. Dry bones and dry relationships live with his breath. So 25 chapters earlier in this book of Ezekiel, God made another promise. I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. They will be my people. I will be their God. So nothing is said in this promise about earning or deserving, making it right or saying the right thing. The Spirit is a gift to those with hearts of stone who need to have hearts to trust God. All of us qualify. Like the bones, you and the person you're in relationship with or want to be are unable to help yourself live. This is an inside job, this changing. You cannot see evidence of it from the outside. But God is in the bones, deep in the bones of each and every person, working out his plan of salvation for everyone. Something will happen in those bones that will change the relationship, but you will not be able to predict it or make it happen. You can hold on to the promise of God and trust that Jesus Christ is at work on the human plane out of your ability to see or to sense. So our valleys of dry bones are full of promise for us as they were for Ezekiel 
and for the people of Israel because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. This text is placed on the last Sunday of Lent to remind us that Jesus Christ is on his way to the cross to die to set things right. The same Holy Spirit who freed Christ from death in the grave, released to give us life and breath. All will be redeemed and resurrected, even the hardest of relationships. Christ is at work in your field of bones at this very moment, breathing life where there was none, bringing wholeness and truth. Christ says to you, as God said to Ezekiel, I breathe my life into you and you will live. He will resurrect your faith, your faith in the love of God, and your bones will dance and sing. You will trust God again. Can these bones live? Yes. Yes, they can. Blessed are you, Lord, who gives life to the dead. Amen.